Episode 75 in the bag, Dr. Billy Garvey. This was our reflection episode on mental health first aid. What are people going to learn in this one? Yeah, so much deeper discussion about some really challenging scenarios that people mm. have sent in about how do we deliver mental health first aid. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about yeah, suicide, self-harm, yep. kids are struggling in schools, families, get some amazing questions um, and shout out. This is really tough stuff. So, for example, in Australia, Lifeline's really helpful, 13, 11, 14. There will be other supports around you. Um, just make sure that you, if you are struggling with this, you kind of reach out to those in your community, yep. but hopefully a helpful chat. Yeah, really helpful chat. Love the practical stuff. The short fire questions you burst through this week. Do an amazing job there. And the long ones were capped at 10. So a shorter, long episode, if that makes any sense. On a lighter note... Our Christmas special is coming up, Dr. Billy Garvey. That is our next and final episode for 2023. We want your Griswolds and Winslows. If you don't know what a Griswold and Winslow is, go back and listen to the part one of any episode. You'll get it in the first couple of minutes. But we want your best parenting efforts and some of the parenting efforts where you've lowered your colours a little bit. And we'll have a lot of fun in this last episode. Really looking forward to it. But in the meantime, enjoy. Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. I don't want to see anybody else either. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you. Good morning, Dr. Billy Garvey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Nick? Good. Probably yelled a bit loud then and ruined the levels on all the mics, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert. Uh, no, no. Well, we've got experts now. I know. So, How good. How's yes. your week been? Uh, good, good. Pretty full on. Mm. This is our our last kind of um, big, big ep for the Formal year. We'll ep. do a Christmas special. But um, yeah, so I'm kind of sliding into the home base, like just making it. Um, but yeah, clinics have been really heavy. Um, yeah, just I think it's a tough time of the year for a lot of educators and families mm. and stuff wrapping up. Because um, of transition coming up, that's what makes it tough? Yeah, transition. I think there's a lot of fatigue. Uh, like, yeah. you know, if just it's been really hard. I think, yeah, there's a lot of, um, yeah, which we've, I mean, we've seen... Our, uh, I'm officially completely drowning on the socials now that I think we've had nearly 2 million engagements in the last couple of weeks. Yep, um, that's right. Yeah, so it's um, which is wonderful. We're still trying to find the right fit, so thank you to all these people reaching out. Um, <laughs> we've gone from... So, Billy, we're coming up on almost two years to the day since we launched yeah, our first podcast. Yeah. Home right? Alone. Uh, home Alone, exactly. Home <laughs> Alone, little Christmas special. Yeah. Um, and where we've been trucking along and three weeks ago we hit 10,000 followers yep. and it was like, la-di-da, look wow. at us two years in. <laughs> yep. Hard earned by Dr. Billy Garvey. The re- autograph requests the are coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> we're now at, uh, we were 39.9 thousand, so I'm imagining we're 40,000 this morning. So yep. in the space of three weeks we've grown 30,000 followers. Yeah. So, yeah, just a... Um, yeah, social was tough three weeks ago, Billy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. The last step, I was like, I'm drowning. You know, officially I'm now. So once this is done, I promise I'll get back to messages. But the, um, yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've seen now we get a lot more people. We, we haven't hit a million listeners on the podcast mm. yet, but we've hit nearly 2 million engagements on social. So we're seeing a lot of people engage with the clips who aren't listening to the podcast, which is yep. always a bit hard because... 
it's hard to put context Text. in 90 seconds, but yes. um, yeah, and I'm trying to moderate. So apologies if anyone's having to deal with some negative, uh, aggravating, volatile comments from people that aren't listening to the pod. Mm. But it's, yeah, it's really important that, um, yeah, people just feel like it's a useful resource. Mm. Um, we're definitely going to do physical discipline next year. Yes. And we might do some stuff focused on educators because they're educators that are coming through it's amazing and yeah, people might not know this but my PhD a couple of years ago, I got the privilege of working really intensely with six schools and did in six months 45 um, professional development sessions in over six months yep. that I delivered with them. So, And you've worked with schools a lot over the years yeah. going, going back to when you were a carer back in the day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. After school but then also obviously the last 15 years you've been working closely with teachers yeah. and educational along the way. So to be good because we just realise how much that is part of the pop culture parenting community is the educators. So yep. it would be nice for next year to tap into that but we'll we'll kind of um speak to the the listeners the group again i was about to say the fans but see that's <laughs> just jumping that's an important distinction billy because we started this as our parenting podcast mm. but some of the the most use out of this podcast is educators and carers doctors nurses yeah. child maternal health and often the referral we get via the messages and the reviews are my teacher recommended this episode or my daycare uh, carer recommended yeah. this episode. So, yeah, I think that that's really great when they do that. And, yeah, just it's funny. We call it parenting but it's – Yeah, which is actually rearing. a really good shout-out to the other thing. Really nice to get messages from people, and you and I were talking about this before, mm. saying I'd love um, – you know, it's really nice to hear people want me to see their child. Oh, uh, yep, yep, um, yep, yep. But that's um, – I only work in a public hospital that has a very horrendous wait list um, in a yep. big – one of the biggest tertiary paediatric hospitals in the world. But, yeah, I say so there is no real way to get to me. There's no way to meet you privately because yeah, I, I get um, colleagues and friends to be like, oh, you know, Billy's great. Can I see him? And I say, oh, he's actually just in the public system. There's no yeah. way to see him privately. Um, that's where he dedicates his – his work. Yeah, so I'm there four days a week and we have, I think there's 12 senior specialists on my team and yep. then we train a lot of the kind of upcoming guns in the space. But, um, but, you know, reach out. So what we often say is kind of, you know, within your local community there will be people that know general practitioners are amazing at this, really amazing probably the GPs. most important medical yep. specialist, but they also might know who's in your area. Um, and obviously that's different. We know there's a lot of overseas listeners now, but... Yep. What the podcast is, is like that's why there's no ads and things like that. It's really just trying to share what I've learned. Yep. And I've, it's really nice just recently very quickly and then we'll start to get into the questions. Yep. I've had a few people messaging in that I've seen years ago and they're like, you, I met you in clinic, you helped with my son or my daughter and stuff, mm. which is beautiful because that's a real full circle. Like I learned a lot of stuff. I keep learning from families and mm. educators and other clinicians. So it's nice to see it full circle. But the funniest time that I have, I never told you this about six months, I was seeing a kid via telehealth who lives rurally and he's having a really hard time and getting in lots of trouble and stuff. And um, just subtly, his mum was telling me the story and subtly in the background he kept playing our intro music. <laughs> and, I was like, <laughs> and I just kind of pretended that I didn't realise. <laughs> but he's just as his mum's like going through and he doesn't listen and he's been kicked out of two high school and all this stuff. I just keep hearing our intro music going and I thought that's a very funny stitch up. Yeah, so. that yeah, yeah. there's so many things we can talk about in there but let's get, we've got to keep moving, Billy. Yes, yeah, now, amazing um, questions. Just on that, you did touch on one thing, mm. uh, Christmas special coming yes. up. So it's a bit more lighthearted, the Christmas special. It's not um, 
we like to just reflect upon the year and the thing that drives the Christmas special in our first year last year when we had less listeners, we got dozens of people messaging us. It is about hearing about your best Griswolds and Winslows. If it's your first time listening to this podcast, hopefully it's not, um, we each week talk about Winslows and Griswolds. Winslows is something that you nail as a parent, that you're like, I nailed this this week. This is the best outcome that I have with my kids' family or the kids I'm caring for. And the Winslows where there's full of of these each week, there's more of these each week than Winslows. Um, The Griswold is where you actually um, lower your colours a bit and then sort of... uh, yeah, don't have your best moment. It could just be, I don't know, whatever it is. I've got dozens of examples. Go yeah. back and listen to them, but where you're like, oh, I didn't do that well as a parent. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have to pick some ones that we haven't shared that were yep. kind of big wins and big challenges for the year. Yep. Um, and you just finally mentioned we're getting a lot of people coming in new asking for topics that we've actually done. Yeah, yeah. We've intentionally made the whole back catalogue evergreen so people should feel comfortable going back and it's really nice hearing people go back and going, oh, my God, I just listened to the Never Ending Story one yep. or whatever it was. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's great to go back and see some of the stuff. Yep, yep, and a reminder, all episodes are part two. So this is part one and part two where we discuss the topic and the second part where we answer your questions. We are in part two, Billy. This is episode mm. 75. I haven't even done the introduction of this one. Yes, oh, mental health first aid. Mental health first aid. Billy, we turn to socials as the opening part of our segment for our part two episodes and we ask people, Three questions. First question, and they respond via the polls, is Were you supported during mental health crisis as a child? 83% of people said they weren't. Mm. Mm. Yeah, number. it's hard, isn't it? And it's, you know, probably a lot of people who are responding to that are parents and now try to figure out and, you know, taking the little free time they have to listen to the podcast to try and get better so that they can maybe support their kids better than they were supported. But I think it's a hard thing. We've just learned so much in one generation about this stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, not making light. This reminds me of like the 80s, like Bluey. Like it just like feels like things have changed so much. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, do you have the skills to help your to help kids struggling with, uh, str- sorry, do you have the skills to help kids struggling mentally? 53% of people said yes, they were equipped. That's yeah, good. which is good, That's isn't good. it? Yeah. yeah, well, they might have listened to part one, not to plug part one, <laughs> but you do give a lot of practical advice in part one, so you do feel equipped to yeah. handle that. Yeah, that'd be zero without the... Uh, <laughs> but, but, and sorry for making them so hard to read. There's like a character limit on Instagram and so I have to like sit there and go, how do I ask this question with only this many letters? Billy, let's be honest, it's not your writing, it's my reading. <laughs> it's just, when the, when the, when the, yeah, the yips come in on the, on the poll questions, it could be a long end. Bear with me, people. Last question. Ever had to help a kid in a mental health crisis? 52% of people said they had. Yeah, because I remember one of the things that I talked about, you were quite surprised. You were like, never seen that, didn't know it happened in classrooms. Yeah, probably for me I don't identify. Oh, the classroom stuff. Mm. There was a question, like, there was a scenario last week where I didn't offer anything for about four minutes. You were like, yeah, this happens every week. I'm like, where? And you're mm. like, every classroom across Australia, mate, goes through this. And I was, and probably the world, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Teachers really deal with stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. So, And we've got a few questions that will go a bit deeper into that. Yep. So, again, we're into the second segment. This is the quickfire questions followed by our long-form questions. We love the questions. See if I can do them quickfire. Well, (laughs) well, I'll keep you moving. Billy, are hypersensitive kids more prone to mental health crisis? How can we mitigate that? 
Yeah, it's a great question and it goes back to kind of what we've talked about before. Thomas Boy's talking about dandelions and orchids. You can probably remember that. Like I'm an orchid. I'm not sure if anyone else in my family is. But, um, but yeah, just that kind of sensitivity around what we're talking about is temperament really. And they are. They have big emotions, sensitivities to the environment and feelings that they have in response to things that have happened to them. Yep. The, the beautiful thing about that evidence, which I've talked about at length before, is that you mitigate it by really responsive, loving, caring, predictable environments. They really lift those kids. So yep. they actually soak up um, a lot of good support, probably much better than the dandelions who kind of are hard to move either way. And if you want to know a bit more about that one, I'm going to guess, Billy, that was an episode on parenthood and sensitive yeah. kids is where you first talk about that. And I'd say that's around episode 12 to 17, yeah, early days. Yeah, guess if that's, yeah. yeah. Amazing guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's someone. a really great one to go into and we might go back to that next year early as well. Yeah, cool. Billy, number two, how can I support kids with trauma who run away when upset and don't want to be followed? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a great question. We and it, it actually, funny. It takes me back to like twenty years ago, just working in um, childcare and seeing a lot of the kids doing this. And mm. um, yeah, so we've got a longer question that'll talk about this in greater depth. But it's really important that we don't corner kids. So. Mm. What we want them to know is that we're always there and kind of finding that kind of zone of proximity of just how close can I be that I'm not making you feel worse or distressed but you do have an awareness that I'm here if you need me is really important. But a lot of kids, that avoidance strategy will be how they kind of deal with those difficult emotions that they're having. And if you think about it, often the first kind of reaction is anger and hostility and that fight response but the flight response can also be one that kids actually need to do just to kind of deal with whatever difficult situation they're experiencing. Can I, I'm going to reframe this question because I think it's a really good one and I really think it could make the Instagram. Billy, my um, um, Billy, my, f- my sorry, Billy, my uh, a young, <laughs> I'm hearing this already. Okay, Billy, so I, I have a kid that melts down on me that's around five years old and they run off to their bedroom. I feel like I'm cornering them. How do I sort of help support them in that kind of moment? Yeah, so great question. So it's high, not a play yard. Yeah, so as we talk about always, the, the toddler, the teen, you know, are they completely dysregulated? Mm. If they're completely dysregulated, don't try and access the thinking logical part of their brain. So, but if you think actually it's there and then if they are completely dysregulated, it's about safety and just support and presence. If they kind of are still kind of, you think that some stuff is still getting into them, you just want to really, as you stepped us through beautifully, calmly low voice, I'm here if you need me. Like I'm here. And And stay there? Yeah. And just, but don't kind of boast, you know, don't bust the door open. I'm sitting next to you. We're going to talk about this right now. Like it's just those kids might not be ready and it's always important kids lead us. We don't force them and say, well, bad luck, mate. You've just blown up. We're going to talk about this right now. Gotcha. Thanks, Billy. Love that one. Hey, Billy, where's the best place to learn about how to support kids' mental health? Yeah, so I mean our back catalogue, obviously. (laughs) But um, (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, because we put it like there's a lot of research and evidence behind everything we're talking about. But um, yeah, I think, you know, for Australian listeners, Raising Children's Network is an amazing resource as well. Um, Yeah, myself and a lot of us uh, that work at the big tertiary hospital I work at kind of spend a lot of time putting stuff together with that amazing team. Yeah, I think there's lots of different ways. I think the important thing is to be like there's lots of different 
stuff out there and some of it has different levels of evidence behind it but it's really important that you think does this fit with my beliefs my cultural approach to stuff and yep. then is it actually helping and just watch and try it and you should see things improving in a number of weeks but we see a lot of families that are trying certain strategies they've read about yep. or something for months even years and they come and see us and go i'm not sure if it helps and i'm like just drop it then Yep. You know, if you're so, not seeing the results. Yeah. yeah. So that's yep. the real metric is like, yep. is it actually helping me and my family? Yep. And a general, general idea for that sort of metric and support of what you try to do, like two weeks really consistent, just with general stuff that you talk about here in the podcast. Yeah. The biggest reason strategies fail is the developmental expectation is too, too high. high. You're asking a kid to do something you can't achieve or you just haven't given it enough consistent time and predictability. Yep. But we'll talk about some of the long questions in that with families that are really struggling. Sweet. Hey, Billy. Any pointers for remaining calm? Yeah, what have you got for this? Because you're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? Like, um, I think, uh, yeah, you've, you talk about it well in the previous episode, but it's kind of like just check yourself before you go in. I'm not saying this just for the sake of saying it. I reckon there's no way half the time I'd check myself before I head into that. Like mm. I, uh, I'm not great at it trying to improve when i say 50 percent, i'm probably not 70 or 80 percent. I, I find it hard so how do you check yourself what does that look I like generally look to mum just to like <laughs> look at mum and mum looks at me and goes like and i go okay like i don't i just want yeah, to amazing. diffuse the situation and then like you say just take a breath and then head off don't just rush in to fix it because you can't if they're dysregulated and don't want to communicate you're not going to reach them so just Take a breath. I used to have that thing I keep saying to you that like, oh, I just want to nip it in the butt straight away. So I'm like, oh, no, no, this is fine. Just stay here. Come on. No, 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 no. Here. I'll get you here to sit here, sit here. I just sort of stop now and let it, try and let it breathe a little bit to show them that you can take a moment. Yeah, then, beautiful. Anyway. Try it's great. I struggle. Like Annalise is so amazing at this stuff that I find it hard sometimes when I look over at her because I'm like, oh, she's not even stressed at all and it makes me feel worse. <laughs> I'm just like, God, I can't believe I'm struggling with How this. How you calm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so... I think that really quick, quickly, because we might go deeper on this in yep. one of the longs, it's about kind of, you know, what you're talking about, check yourself is, is actually called interoception. It's like, how do I feel in this moment? What is my body telling me? And that's why people will find what you're doing right now. Slow breaths can be really helpful, you know, kind of tensing and relaxing muscles. And what you're trying to find is control. So control, and that's what you can do. You can be like, I can't control this chaotic household. I can control my breathing. And what, what we know that does is activates the calming aspect of your nervous system. Yep. So we'll go into it in a bit more depth, but that's that's my kind of things. Don't sit there logically. Sit there and understand that your emotions are all firing. Be aware of it, what it's doing to your body, and that can be really helpful before you ever kind of go into anything. Okay, cool. Billy, how do you determine the difference between tantrum and anxiety panic attack great question there's a fair bit of overlap um so tantrums kind of start occurring in kids at about 18 months and they're usually by four to five years of age have resolved panic attacks are actually a clinical anxiety disorder um they are usually in older kids the difference is there is a huge like fear component of panic attacks they are kind of terrified and we see this they last often for 10 to 15 minutes of intense fear worry rapid breathing just and it's this kind of it almost looks like and a lot of people who have them will say it feels like i'm having a heart attack 
And that's why, you know, it's really important that we don't dismiss it and those things and say you're fine or whatever, especially in panic attacks. We shouldn't do that in tantrums either. But that's the kind of difference. It's this like really intense, sudden, not sure what caused it, just out of nowhere, fear, fear. And they often, a classic example of um, panic attacks is they will be worried about when the next one's going to come. So even outside what of it, they're fearful. Yeah, it's awful. We, we see this in kids, um, often teenagers, and it's really challenging. Okay. Billy, how to look after yourself after you've helped someone with a mental health crisis? Yeah, is this like a decompression question sort of thing? Yeah, it can be really helpful. And once again, everyone's different in what works for them. But it's funny, like the amazing team um, who's, yeah, Catherine, Claire, Laura and Tony who I got to work with about building the mental health first aid course um, – talk about often the person who's delivered it actually needs mental health first aid after so and often that can be another adult that you just as an educator you make sure that you go I remember I would often need this you know and we all need to debrief after tough days but those intense situations of supporting a kid in a crisis often your system is firing still and you need someone to come and help you return to calm and kind of be there for you in the same way. So having a network of people around you is really important as a professional and a parent where you can kind of go, hey, I just had this, I just need you to listen to me. Gotcha. Yep. Okay, cool. Billy, the episode discussed co-regulation but not much about a safety plan. Yeah, do you know what a safety plan is? No. It's one of these things that I'm not exposed to yet, isn't it? Yeah, so there's kind of different aspects of this but yeah, it's a great call out because we did talk about like a lot in the moment but what we know is like we have to hold kids outside of it Um, and whenever we see kids who might have um, attempted suicide or, you know, something awful like that, clinically what we'll do very quickly is build safety plans. Now, safety plans can be used in schools as well. We use them clinically. We step through and build with the child, like usually an adolescent. We will step through and say, like, what are the specific things that help you when you're struggling like this? That's part of a written plan. What are the ways that you can get support when you're struggling like this specifically? Who do you talk to? Who do you call? What do you do? What are your different options? How do you step through them? What's the final one? And also um, harm minimization and access. So, you know, if it, how do we make sure in the plan that we limit kind of risk-taking behaviour, access to things that can be harmful and things like that? And it gets built with the child, not for the child. That's the difference. We sit down and do it. And it is better than what we used to do and we found that the evidence is not as strong for it is these no harm contracts like Nick you've tried to end your life it's awful you know you're having a hard time we need you to sign this contract to say you won't hurt yourself again and that's kind of doesn't have the level of support that a safety plan does so does that make sense yeah yeah heavy stuff heavy stuff um no question but a shout out to all the parents who patiently care for their kids during a crisis yeah, I included that because it's really important. Like all these people are listening to this stuff, probably a lot of them in the in the kind of middle of the storm right now and it's really important just to say that, you know, it is a massive shout out to all the people that are doing that. Not easy. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, my child is hitting and biting during a meltdown. How do I stop this behaviour? Yeah, it might be a bit unfair but what um, – do we ever try and stop behaviours? No. Because what do we do instead? try to understand the emotion that yeah and then what do we do that is uh prompting the behavior um what do we do yeah when when you're trying to understand it 
um, ask open questions of the Yeah, kid. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, but I'm being a bit unfair. No, no, because your, your, your start answer was perfect. It's two steps. Try and understand what's going on. Mm. And the second step is what would I like them doing instead? Oh, yeah. And guide them towards that. Guide them towards that. There's no point saying stop doing something. Of course, that's a good one. Don't, you can't tell them to stop doing that. Yeah, be clear about what you want them to do because otherwise you focus on the behavior that they're doing and they'll know that if I do that again, I'll get your attention again. Yeah, you can unintentionally negatively reinforce it. Hold on. <laughs> Billy, is there a Dr. ABCD equivalent that I can memorize to help provide mental health first aid? Yeah, and the amazing team um, built this as well. So it's a great question because I completely forgot about it, if I'm honest. Um, so it's A-L-G-E-E. So I'll step down for you. A is approach, assess and assist. So you're just going into yeah. them, which we've talked a lot about. L, what do you think L might be? Listen. Yes, bang. Yep. Uh, you won't get G because it's give support. Um, so give support is really important. And then the two E's are both the same word. It's encourage professional help seeking and encourage kind of support and accessing things that are helpful so the important distinction between like what the first one is like i think it'd be really beneficial to go and see someone how can i help you access that you know in crisis you stay with the child until they have that access if you have as part of the mental health first aid return them back to a state of mental well-being and calm then how can i support you in the next kind of coming days okay but the other bit is like you know, encourage them to do the things that are helpful for them. Okay. You know. What was the acronym again? A-L-G-E-E. E-E. All G. A-L-G-E-E. Yeah, algae. Yeah, algae. I'm just trying to, yeah. All I was thinking is all G, like all good. All G, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Is that why they put it that way? Yeah, yeah. Often you can mess with acronyms. Yeah. I'll get back to reading questions. How do I teach my children what mental health really is? Yeah, what do you think? What you're, no, 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 sorry, I won't keep doing that yeah, to you. That's a bit unfair. That. No, no, I don't want my answers. Yeah. No, no, they do because, yeah, you... So I think the no, important no, thing sorry. is there's two, two big principles about this. I think showing probably yeah, is yeah. easier than telling them what it is to be like, hey, this is what mental health is. Like mm. what's going on with this person is because of this as opposed to like just telling them randomly, like giving them context, contextualizing what mental health is, which is sad, but... Yes, and mental health is not a lack of mental illness. That's kind of we, we need to aim oh, higher yeah, than that. Of course. So, yeah, we yeah, might okay. have talked about that maybe a year ago or something. Yep. But um, it's important. That it's also really specific for that child, that family, that mm. culture, that community. But often we think about a child should have, you know, the mental capacity and well-being to participate in all the stuff that we know is important for them to learn, to overcome the challenges that they're going to experience in day-to-day, week-to-week um, without it kind of destroying their mental health. Mm. So that's what mental illness is, uh, mental well-being or mental health is, sorry. And that's kind of what we, we need to do resilience as a future topic. Mm. But that's what we're actually aiming for and resilience is the ability to kind of ride through those storms that life brings us. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I was just reflecting there for a second, Billy. It's all right. Um, Billy, uh, when you're confused and anxious about what is going on, how do you approach the kid? Mm. So very quickly because I'm running long on these, you do it genuinely. So yeah. be open and honest about it and you do it from a neutral, non-judgmental and you say, I'm not sure what's going on but I really want to understand. 
So we know what's important with families that we work with professionally, but also how families should be with their kids is genuinely curious. That's so good. You got to be genuine, don't you? Yeah, but especially in that yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. So it's a completely normal thing to feel when yeah. a child is really struggling that you're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, but like the reaction from someone would be like bravado and bluster and be like, yeah, oh, no, mate, kids yeah, will pick geez. it up. Yeah. That false confidence yeah, is not a great idea. No. But you can be like, but I'm here and I'm going to help you figure it out. Very good. Thank you. Very good. <laughs> Billy, how to get your kid to open up more? Mm, what do you think about this? Um, You've got a gorgeous daughter who's, you know. <laughs> what do I uh, ask open questions? But do you say to her you need to open up more? No, 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 no. You just got to like ask questions. Yeah. And I'm already starting to get those like good responses. <laughs> yeah. How is kinder today? Good. Who'd you play with? Teddy. Yeah. Okay. But I've seen you do this, mate. You like get into a space where there's a bit of fun you're kind of enjoying yep. the tramp yep. and stuff like that and having conversations in those spaces where they feel really comfortable and it's casual is really important. Oh, yeah. As okay. opposed to Backseat let's go sit in the chair yeah. and <laughs> tell me, you know. Do you yep. know what I mean? You just want to get and don't, you know, don't wait until your kid's struggling to create those habits of, you know, conversations like that. Yep. So many families are good at this but you can kind of sometimes we just white knuckle it which is currently what i've been doing for about two years of just get through each day and then you kind of go it's sweet though if anything goes wrong i'll sit down with them but you want to build that habit in the calm you know yep mm. yep okay okay um billy what are the top five things in your mental health first aid toolbox bang i think yeah, it's well, feel like what have you got all g Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think of that. Go with that one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably the good one, yeah, isn't okay. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to just be off the top of my head going to say something like check yourself. Yep. Like go in to try and connect, you yep. know, to what's the third one? You know, really genuinely actively listen to them. Yep. Um, let the child lead you. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, what's a good fifth one? Making sure that you're just thinking, you know, what um, – yeah, well, how else could I be getting better at this, which is reflective practice, what we talk about, which is the biggest evidence behind any parenting strategy. Yep, and if this person asks for six tips, I would say <laughs> try and decompress with another adult post Dang. that event. Well done. Learning on the fly, Dr. Billy. Not sure I need to be here anymore. <laughs> I get behind <laughs> that camera. Like machine learning <laughs> over here. <laughs> Very small language model. Hey, uh, Billy. Um, oh, good, sorry. Uh, I'm going to come back to that question. Um how do you help when parents are the main issue or exacerbate the situation? Yeah, totally. So professionals that are in that space, like I get in that space a little bit, educators and people that are like at the coalface will much more than me because most families are help-seeking. Key is partnership. I don't know how much we've talked about that lately but I've been doing a few talks in the last fortnight about what we talk about relational practice and like you want to form a partnership, find a way to get on the same page as those parents. They, you know, someone sent in something where they were like, Billy, you said all parents love their kids. Unfortunately, that's not true. I don't believe that or want to believe that. So it's just that they're being, you know, overwhelmed by their own mental illness or trauma or whatever. Hey, so practically speaking, I think you kind of touched on this last step. It's like... Uh, assessing whether you're the correct person to have this conversation with the kid. So if I was trying to like build that partnership, mm. I'd be like, um, pick, no, pick your kid, um, Theo, Billy, yep. and I, I see that Theo's struggling, but 
feel like you're maybe we're not in partnership maybe it's kind of like hey you're so close to him you're the best person i want to try and help him it looks like he's struggling with a couple of things yeah what do you reckon we should do is that kind of the yeah totally yeah, yeah. so we know, we know that a so, lot of the trust is earned in the first like less than a minute of just like that genuine check-in how are you going yeah like do you know what i mean like genuinely yeah. doing that with people is really important instead of like straight to Theo's driving me just crazy. He needs to get out of this school. He's yeah. just a nightmare. You know, kind of that genuine connection, and then kind of saying, and I'm quite explicit about it. Like I say, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this working clinic to be kind. I get paid to do it. It's my job, mm. and I, I need you to help guide me so that I do it as well as I can. And mm. you're kind of leading me on that. And so that, that partnership is really important, especially for families that come from disadvantaged backgrounds or have yeah. experienced previously traumatic relationships yeah. with services to call it out and yeah. say like i think things have been pretty crummy for you in the past like what can i do to help repair that and things like that so partnership is the key partnership in all of that stuff when you're like butting heads against a family how can i form that okay cool thanks billy hey um billy um what's a response for suicidal thoughts yeah so it's a really important one and i think this might come up a little bit later as well but we know um yeah, it's it's pretty awful seeing, you know, I've talked about this before, but from 15 to 45 years of age, this is the biggest cause of death. Um, and it's it's really important that we see that as, a, you know, possibly the worst flare that kids will send up that they need support. And kind of it's really important that when that happens, we we go in and kind of acknowledge that and say, I'm really worried a bit like what we said before, being really genuine about that level of concern. We shouldn't um, ever get kids to explain why to us. We should make sure that we never use guilt. You know, your mum will be devastated or, you know, you've got so much going on that's good. Why are you like this? And just acknowledge how overwhelming that can be. It's really important as well that kids who are, you know, actively in that, that we stay with them and we support them. And that's what mental health first aid is really. It's how do we hold that child until that help comes. Mm. Um, Kids that are acute risk, you just don't leave them alone. Um, And I think one thing that's really helpful because it's a lot of teenagers is really understanding you know, and explaining through them that this is a mental illness, this is not your fault and there's a lot of things that we can do so that you don't feel like this anymore and I will be with you until then. The younger kids will often say things like that in real distress but as we talked about back in the My Girl app, they don't really understand the concept of, gotcha. of death okay. and how permanent it is. Okay. So it can be a good thing when younger kids say that to kind of say what does that mean to you, you know, and yep. try and explore it once again what you said open questions, non-judgmental. One of the hardest things with suicide and self-harm is not having these overt big reactions to it, you know, because they're hypersensitive to how people are going to be like this around me when they notice or when I've exposed, uh, disclosed how I'm feeling and those huge big reactions can mean that they're less likely to come back. That is so hard not to do though. Like I read, um, and I know you appreciate that, but... I was reading the questions outside this morning before I came and there is a long question that's really tough and I, I went back inside. I've got tissues today. I've never mm. practically done that because I know there's a really tough question coming. Um, I might be fine but that evokes a response. And this is someone messaging us, not even my kid saying it. If my kid was to, yeah, the thought of a child harmed or... 
Yeah, and it's re- it's really hard, it's mate. And it's just that I see these kids in clinic, like after a long wait, and you know, so that's why the podcast intentionally goes to topics that are tough because we could sit here and just talk about you know fussy eating, which is yeah. still really important. But yeah. I think that's the breadth and doing the tough stuff is really important. Yep. Finishing on a lighter question, Billy, to round out our shorts. Can there be a diehard Christmas special? Yes. <laughs> you bet there can, Billy. I've been promo- I'm pushing for this one, Billy. I'm with this listener. Yeah. No, wow. I will get to be what's his name? John. I'll, I will get to be John in the Photoshop. That's my only compromise. <laughs> no, it has to be you, Harley Janeiro, John. Anyway, hey, uh, Billy. So for first time listeners, this is our last segment where we ask ten long questions. These questions come from people that have listened to the first topic and want to learn a little bit more, have a little bit more complexity in a lot of the questions, a lot of detail. We find this helps people relate to or might have similar things. We typically only pick 10 guys and we do get up to hundreds of longer questions. It's a lot of questions and we're sorry, but need to be able to pick the ones that we, we're getting sort of similar or most ones. Mm. Um I think I've tried to sneak in maybe 20 before is the most that I've sunk in. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of the one that's like, Billy, <laughs> cut it out because um, we know listeners' time is precious but people are here to listen. So this is where we go through the 10 long. So bear with, bear with us. I think you'll get a lot out of it. There is a lot of detail though in some of them. First one's quite short though, that's it. <laughs> Hi, guys. I work in education and witness situations of extreme avoidance. We ask if they want help or support and they just shrug their shoulders. What should we do Next, as staff, thank you. I love the podcast and recommend it to all the teachers too. Yeah, so really important that kind of avoidance is a really common kind of – and often it is because kids have kind of learned helplessness. They have kind of not realised that other people can help them. So there's – you know, that's one of the big reasons. So it takes a long time to kind of unlearn that and realise that people can actually be helpful. The other one is that, you know – some of those kids, that avoidance strategy is because they just can't, especially kids who have experienced trauma, yep. they can't open up that box, you know, of like yeah. having to talk about it or kind of actually realise that what's happening for them is overwhelming them and things like that. So it's really important that, you know, invest in the long game in this stuff. Just be consistent, responsive, gentle, calm, predictable and play the long game and it pays off. Like there's there's no quick fixes in this stuff but that's how you show kids consistently that and they will eventually start turning to you and going, all right, cool. Shout out to the teachers asking mm. questions like that. You get 25 kids in your class, whatever the numbers are. And we're, yeah, we're, you, I know you, cause you've worked with them for so long. But oh, I, I totally. hear that and I'm no, like, and well, I've, I've learned that off some consistent. of the most, you yeah. know, a lot of sometimes people will be like, oh, that's not possible. But I've gone to some of the most disadvantaged, obviously in Australia and actually overseas on the Churchill, some of the most disadvantaged communities and seen educators that have shown me how to do this. And, yeah. you know, we should do that in the future. Yep. Cool. All right. Question two, Billy. Hi, team. Once I know, uh, once I know one of my students is struggling, what can I do to support them? Sadly, I have multiple kids in my class self-harming and I'm not sure about the next steps to support. I have informed leadership and well-being officer. They have created safety plans, spoken to families and arranged psychologist appointments. I'm just wondering, what can I do to help them through the next chapter? Yeah, once again, your shout out. So we know that on the last big national um, data collection that we did and the stats are similar all over the world that when you um, survey a group of teenagers, Mm. 
that about 10% of them will have self-harmed. Yeah, which I is... I can't get my head around it. Yeah, so because a lot of it's hidden. Um, and so what we're trying to do is first step is not have it hidden, you know what I mean? So yeah, okay. it's really important and that data was collected pre-pandemic and I imagine it would be much higher now. There's lots of – so there's amazing stuff. There's two, two bits to this answer. Just quickly about self-harm, the most important thing is we understand there's lots of different reasons that often teenagers will self-harm. It is not – always a suicidal thing often it's not it's not about like it's about sometimes having control over my body sometimes it's you know moving away from dissociation they're trying not to dissociate sometimes it's self-punishment sometimes it's kind of a signal to say i need help um you know there's a lot of reasons having control sometimes it is the thing that the child uses to try and calm themselves so lots of different reasons but like a lot of this stuff we should see it as a signal. Whenever we find that a child has done that, it's really important. As you've said, it's really hard to do this, but we go in calmly. We don't ignore it and not acknowledge it. People worry about like with suicide and self-harm that talking about it will make it worse. You know, the suicidal child, you should never mention the suicide word. That's not true actually and that's a bit the same as why we, there's so many kids we that are unseen with self-harm because we don't talk about it openly yep. and it's a really important part of risk assessment is like with suicide you know are you thinking about ending your life have you got plans about this have you tried it before those are all the things we worry about that put kids in a high risk category with self-harm we should acknowledge it we shouldn't pretend it hasn't happened in the same way as you know it's really hard to not have a big reaction when you see a child's done that i got i just need like can you give me an opening line for this? So a kid has – I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I'm totally, like a kid's yeah. scratched their arm or you know, yeah. cut their arm and I was like cut their wrist, you know, like yeah. cut themselves and multiple times I do remember kind of seeing that as a kid a little bit. Like yeah. Other so teenagers. if you're a parent or an educator going over say? and saying, hey, Nick, I, I can see that you've hurt your arm like – and you, you know, you've got to do the first aid component as well but that's a beautiful part of caring for kids is that mm. you can show them physically before you do emotionally mm. that my role is here, I'm okay with this, I'm going to calm you. Like once again telling them they shouldn't have done it, why have you done this, coming down on them like that but also don't dismiss it, don't try and hide it, don't try and underplay it, downplay it, move on from it, you know, those type of things because then that will show that child they're not safe to use it as a help-seeking tool or a signal. So the first aid stuff and then sitting with them and trying to understand, you know, not why did you do this yeah. but what's going on that's tough. Right, because I would say Talking, why did you do this? Yeah. Because so no. I think that would be helpful but I recognise now yeah, that's not. Yeah, so pie, you know, comfort, mental health first aid, physical first aid if it's required, yeah. make sure that child is in a space where they feel comfortable, make sure hopefully you've built rapport with them and things like that and you are just exploring with them, I'm here to help, my role is to help, I want to try and understand what's going on so I can help. We're not trying to stop the self-harm, we're trying to deal with what is underneath it. <laughs> The emo yeah, no emotional, whatever. Yeah, just okay, like the you. hitting and biting kid, you know, what we want to do is how do we give you a better way to signal, a better way to self-soothe, a better way to deal with the dissociation, a better way to show that you're in control and what's happening, but we don't do it by saying stop self-harming. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks for that, Billy. 
Sorry, um, very quickly, final thing, because the actual question was about what can I do outside of all of that stuff. Build emotional understanding in your entire classroom. So a big part of therapy is psychoeducation around emotions and feelings, and that is what all these kids are struggling with. And so build capacity. As an educator, go, sweet, that individual child or those individual kids are seeing a therapist, there's a safety plan, there's all that stuff. As a class... We're going to learn about stress. We're going to learn about fear. We're going to learn about worry. We're going to go through it from a science-based way that's developmentally appropriate. We should do an app on that in the future. Yeah. But that's, that's the game plan. That'd be helpful that's how do we lift all of us? Yep. How do we all have the same language and understanding because we are a community in this classroom? Yep. Beautiful. I love that one. Question three. Hey, Changemakers. Great app again. Mental health first aid is such an important topic to learn about. Love Thelma and Louise too. I usually ask clinical questions, but today is personal. My partner has a teenage niece who recently took an overdose in an attempt to end her life. It is her first attempt at anything like this. Unfortunately, she had a rough childhood and I would rate a high ACE score. Adverse childhood experiences. Thanks. Really, uh, her mother has significant mental illness uh, and attachment difficulties which have been present her whole life. She lives a long way away from us. This very precious girl is very special to us, but due to her mother is very difficult to have face-to-face contact with her. She often toys to control by her isolating. She often tries. To- sorry, sorry, often tries to control her by isolating her. Sorry. We connect as much as we can via FaceTime and messages, even more since her acute mental health decline recently. We have a always marinated this precious girl in unconditional love, support, and we always have our listening ears on, but I can't help but feel it isn't enough as we are so restricted by what we can do to connect face-to-face other than via technology. We know that ongoing support for these young people via the family unit is limited and often not followed up is what we are doing enough once again. Awesome work, fellas. Yeah, so yeah, really heavy and that's a you know professional that works in this space as well, really struggling with it personally. So it's really important that we understand that you know what we've talked about a lot in the past is the non-parental adults and how important they are that take a genuine interest in care in you. Often parents are drowning in their own stuff like that mum is. You can be a huge influence and that person already is. What I would say is like really lean in to the listening bit is really important but really lean in on trying to develop stuff that you do that's frequent and consistent, has purpose, is joyful, all those things and try and have some reason why you're at least once a week doing something with that child. Now it has to be online. So proximity is hard because we know like the people that are around us in close proximity have a greater influence on us. But if you can't get closer to that child, there's, you know, the first bit is like, how can you do something frequently that's predictable? Every Friday, I'm going to check in. We're going to do this thing. We've, we're both going to pick a movie that the other one has to watch, and, you know, that we both watch, and then we're going to talk about it the next week. Something like that, you know, something really specific that's not like, I'm going to ask you every week oh if you're still God. thinking about, yeah. you know, you don't want to live anymore. So you want to try and build that reason to show that and you And that's care. not distracting the kid though, Billy, is it? No, I mean, we've got a question about that. But no, no, you're not. What you're showing is that this is, you know, this is why I genuinely care about you. So as we've talked about a lot in the past, we don't, our kids don't know that we care about them and love them because we sit down and tell them that. Yep. It's because we build routines and practices and traditions and activities 
that are a demonstration of that. Mm. And so you can do that with this child and say like, there is something we both share in common. Let's both engage in it even more deeply now moving forward. Mm. You can still do that stuff online. I see a lot of kids where they're, they're only, I saw a kid last week, only person who's in his life he's never met before and he just games. They live on the other side of Australia, like however many hours that is on a plane. And for overseas listeners, I should know that answer. But five it's, hours. Five yeah. hours. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's the only relationship he has, you know what I mean? And it's a really powerful one mm-hmm. that I would never challenge, I would never threaten because that's what's holding him. And he's he games with that kid every couple of days and he has no friends at school, he gets bullied like crazy, his mum's completely drowning, he's got an intellectual disability, he has learning problems, all of this stuff. The most positive aspect of that kid's life is connecting with that kid. The gaming is secondary. So, you know, that's why I think you can think about ways to do this that are a bit different to kind of we sit down and talk every day if you can't be with someone. The other thing is like how can you unlock some of the potential in the community where that child does live? Because schools are phenomenal but often schools aren't the first step to kids reconnecting with their community. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Billy. Hey, Billy, question four. Hi, Nick and Billy. Big love to you both for your work on the pod. You've truly reframed so much of mine and my partner's parenting journey for the better. In regards to mental health first aid, I'm hoping my children are as remarkably resilient as they seem, but I worry about their mental health development in trying to get on top of things early before there is an issue. For some perspective, we have two major and unexpected, we've had two major and unexpected deaths in close proximity. One just before my daughter's birth and one just before her third birthday. Both have affected us deeply, particularly my partner as one of those losses were of his sister and his mother. I worry about the grief and ongoing effects from this experience on our own mental health as well as such a huge loss for my daughter will impact their mental health. She's a spicy kid already. She feels deeply and reacts accordingly. How can I support strong mental health development in my kids as well as supporting my partner? Seems like there's mental health first aid needed everywhere and in my house. I find myself putting out little fires everywhere in terms of small breakdowns between every family member and sometimes I feel that I'm barely keeping them afloat as their mental health seems to be so fragile. Any guidance on supporting them all in the short term would be appreciated as I know this will be an ongoing process in our family. Thanks for your time and sorry for the long message. No, great question. And, um, you know, grief, yeah, those losses are traumatic for kids and us as adults when that happens. Um, you know, and to go back, I don't want to step through it all again, but the My Girl app were really practically. Yeah, really practical. Yeah, you were so- developmentally appropriate, practical steps for how to step through grief. Um, and it's really important that, you know, that, and this parent doesn't sound like that at all, but it's an opportunity to show challenging emotions, you know, and the, the impact they have on our life, our functioning, our feelings, our relationships, you know, because the risk of like just gritting your teeth and like I don't want my kids to see how much, you know, my dad losing his sister and mum has impacted him is that, you know, that they might not learn that process for themselves when they're teenagers and adults. The other thing is, you know, what I've often thought about when I meet families in clinic is like, I can't do a lot about, 
your capacity at the moment because you're struggling with mental illness or mm. trauma or whatever, what I can try and do is tell you it's okay to drop the demand that's being placed on you. Okay. And I think if this parent feels like I'm just putting out spot fires everywhere, I can't get ahead of it, I can't keep mm. my head above water, mm. you know, just push a lot of stuff off and say, you know, we're just we're just going to do easy meals. I'm not going to be stressing myself and guilt tripping gotcha. myself about how healthy food is at the moment. We're just gotcha. going to drop the homework. You know, we're going to think about some of those things stopping and we're going to think about we actually all need to come in together at the moment and just be with each other as a family. Yep. And that's that should be the priority everywhere, but especially when you feel like you're going down the wrong track yep. or you're being completely overwhelmed, one of the quickest things you can do is just drop the demand that's placed upon you. I love that and approach. I'm a huge hypocrite. I, I seem to stress and struggling and then I just pick up more stuff. So yep. I'm like, yep. so, you know, it's easy to say but and hard to do. You do... Rely on Uber to help you, so I you do. skip the meal time. I I'm do. not saying you all the time, yeah, but when yeah, you, yeah. you reflected recently when Annalise wasn't here, you were I like, know. I'm here to do work. It's terrible. She's doing one last one just for me to finally catch up at the end of the year next week and she's like, I promise that I'll um, make meals for you. And I'm like, how much am I failing at life when? <laughs> anyway. I'll look after you. Hey, uh, hey, Nick and Billy, uh, what do you do if you find yourself very comfortable doing the validating, holding space, reflection stuff, but feel much less confident when it comes to actually practically supporting someone over time? My dreaded question is, so what do we do about this? I think I struggle with this because I feel an expectation to know the answers and often get anxious and flounder at this juncture. I'd rather just be the softer stuff, rather the softer stuff just be enough. Your thoughts would be appreciated. Yeah, amazing question. I just I had to include that one because it's so phenomenal. So yes, you're you're nailing it. Like you, that's you're in the perfect spot that you should be. That person who sent in that question because you're yeah. nailing the bit we're talking about, the mental yeah. health first aid. It is no one's responsibility, even like me or some other specialist, to have all of the answers to what do you do in the long term. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you shouldn't. What what we need to do is we will figure it out together. Even me, I see all these kids in clinic, and I'm like cool, we're going to figure it out together. I say to every family I meet, I will journey with you as long as you need me to. But that's what we should say to our kids. I don't have all the answers. We're going to try and figure it out together. And that, what do we do about it? Like I can sit here and say, you know, well, what is CBT? It's, you know, psychoeducation, symptom control, cognitive restructuring, um, exposure, relapse prevention. And I can step you through. That's what we do with kids who have mental illness. And I can do hours on each of those steps. But actually what you, all you need to do is go, let's find together where the people are that can help and tailor the evidence and what the support is specifically for you so that we can get to that short answer I gave earlier of what actual mental health is. We're not aiming for a lack of you feeling like you don't want to live anymore or self-harming. We're aiming higher than that. I don't know exactly how to get there, but we're going to get there for you together and I'm not going to stop supporting you until you get there. Hey, oh, geez, yeah, a lot of people on this episode are sending questions. They've got a lot on their plate. But like if I was – if I don't have some of these challenges. I don't think acute challenge – definitely don't have these acute challenges some of these listeners have now. Am I like – bear with me here. Am I best off like trying to find something to learn with my kid along the way now? Like let's say it was – bear with me – like either gardening or beekeeping or something to learn along the way, to do something where you both learn something at the same time so that later on when something arises – you can be like, oh, we'll treat it like how we learn about the bees like yeah. or the gardening and we'll just figure this bit out. Because remember we didn't know 
what to do with the herbs when we're planting it or raising the... I don't know. I'm just thinking like... No, it's beautiful. So then you go like, oh, no, this is just the same sort of thing. Like you're really struggling here, but we need to learn this together. Yeah. Weird reflection. No, no, sorry. it's a beautiful one, mate. It's because what you're talking about is partnerships shouldn't be first built. Exactly. That's what I'm getting when at. When we're drowning. Exactly. Yeah. That's tough. It's like, oh, no, we're going to work on this. It's like yeah. we haven't worked on anything before, mate. And you go, I know. Ugh. And I look, I've got, I've got two, like Charlie looks like the same, just really easy, cruisy kids. They've just inherited all of Annalisa's genetics. <laughs> but um, but I, I want to always push back against the concept in my mind that I'm in battle with my kids you know, battle about bedtime, battle about eating, battle about that stuff. And I have to check myself multiple times a day about this. But I'm not even talking about in crisis. But I always want to be standing next to them, not in front of them. I always want to be standing next to them. And if bedtime is failing, if I'm being 100% honest, it's because I'm too lax. She's like, another story? I'm like, hell yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm like, let's do it. But that's me. And if I'm drowning because of that, then I need to think about my responsibility and changing it. But as a partnership, how can I do this? You know? And so that's it's exactly what you're saying. Kids learn that through calm. They learn that because you go and do the gardening together. So then when it is the storm, it doesn't, it's not the first time that they see that partnership approach. So yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's the hour I get to reflect every uh, fortnight to do this. Because let me tell this week it has been a regimented bedtime in my house four books strict i've been doing hair treatments don't even talk to me about hair treatments at the moment with my kids don't even bring it up and i'm just saying i am fully regimented this week so there is no lax flex let's build a partnership so mm. i just had in that moment a thought and i should maybe yeah mate so. i think you're i think you're doing great i think you're looking great speaking of hair <laughs> but i like Doing my best with what I got, Billy. All right, question six, halfway there. Hi there. My two sons, seven and nine, are really struggling emotionally with me. I'm a single mum and when they are with me, they are angry and violent towards each other and towards myself. My oldest has been been diagnosed by history with ADHD and although the stimulation, stimulant medication is helping him at school, I'm wondering if he actually might be suffering from anxiety My youngest, I believe, feels unsafe around his brother and fights back, which adds to the tension and chaos. We are all in a fight or flight. How do I go about helping them regulate and regulating my own anxiety when we are together? Many thanks from Canada. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So shout out to that mum. My mum was in exactly that same pocket. And if I could go back in time and do anything for my mum, I would give her the capacity to prioritise herself but she was just drowning and we would, she would come in from like a long shift to just me and my little brother just battling and we were in very rarely flight. We were often in fight mode and she mm. would come in and we'd be like trying to get her to pick a side and it was just a Oof. daily thing. She was in daily chaos with us. My older brother had left by then. He was a lot older. She had him when he was like when she was a teenager. But, you know, that's, that's the thing. If I could go back and change anything for my mum, I would give her the ability to prioritise herself a bit more. So when I hear that from that parent, that's what I think. The other thing is like kids shouldn't be constantly in fight or flight and you shouldn't be either. It's not normal. I thought it was normal growing up. It's not. My mum probably thought that was just how it was. That's not true. So, you know, reach out and get the help. There is people in every single community I've ever been into that have phenomenal ability and capacity to help those that are struggling it's just sometimes it's hard to find them but they are there the other thing is that 
40 to 60% of kids with ADHD will also have clinical anxiety. So mum sounds like she's probably got a finger right on the pulse, the kid is anxious and that's ADHD does not cause fight or flight. It does not cause anxiety. It doesn't, it's not, it's, we shouldn't see it as a reason for emotional difficulties and go, oh yeah, he's always flipping, you know, his lid, but he's got ADHD. That is not the case and it's great to hear this mum is not accepting that. Yep. Yeah, just re- sorry, reflecting on my like two cents in the first the question prior to this, like I recognise people don't have capacity to be like, let's go do beekeeping and gardening. When you hear a story like that, this mum's like, yeah, I'm a single mum with two kids. I'm working. I'm like, okay, no, but go. that's what we're all aiming for, mate. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's I'm I'm such an idealist that I'm like, yeah, I get I get to hold Charlie for ten minutes a day. You know what I mean? But I'm trying to make that ten minutes as amazing as I can. You know mm. what I mean? Evie, I get an hour with her. I'm like doing all this crazy stuff with her but I've also got to be honest like Annalise's got 10 hours on her own before she goes back to work in a few weeks and like that's much harder so it's easier to come in so yeah we're all I think it's okay to say things like that we're all drowning but all of us are kind of aiming for that stuff and we should support each other and get into the beekeeping yeah yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean as a community like I just watched my neighbor do it with his daughter and it looks like really nice bonding that's all I look at I'm like oh that looks good um but yeah, shout out to someone that's also yeah single mum with two kids yeah, that finds yeah. time to listen to a podcast <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> about parenting. It's yeah. not it's inspiring. Yeah. Like I, I find amazing. that's why I'm still doing this because the people that are listening send in stuff like that. Yeah. Question seven. Hey guys, really enjoying the pod. I just came across it on a reel, Instagram reel. Thank God, there's something good about. <laughs> Going viral. <laughs> I'm starting from the beginning, but I was wondering whether you ever covered the notion of a kid asking for space when they're very heightened. He's only asking because when naively suggested, it would be an option way back when, but I'm wondering if I'm just leaving him in confusion at the same time, I want to honour the autonomy and the right for space. This is one of the trickiest things. This is me now, sorry. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, this, Billy, for me is one of the trickiest things. When you say... Go in, create the space, all good. No, no, you need some time. Okay. Leave, stay. Mm. Like it feels like that. Is that where we're going at with this person? Like giving yeah, them a on it? Go yeah, on, so it's, it a, it's a great question. Um, and I don't know if we have specifically done that. I think maybe in the co-regulation app. But, um, Co-reg- go listen to the co-regulation app, mate. But I will still give an answer here. Um, so, the, so there is a difference between giving space and leaving a kid on their own. Gotcha. It's a huge difference, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There is. So what we're trying to figure out, and this parent's actually doing it really well, is autonomy is the right way of thinking about it. I also think about it as control. So what kids who are really overwhelmed is often they feel like they've completely lost control. So what you're trying to do, well, this is why the breathing stuff and all those things, it's trying to regain control and acknowledge the emotions you're having. But also when they are communicating, you want to keep them communicating. So the way you do that is... I've heard you say that you want space. I'm going to mm-hmm. give it to you. Mm. You know, and so you have to respond, and we must always be led by the child. Now, the kid that's like, "I want space, and I want to run across the road." Mm. You can't like the safety always trumps it. But the kid who's like, "I want to go into my room and just get away with this," we shouldn't follow them into the room. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, we should be like, "Gotcha, I'm, I'm right here." Gotcha, like, cool. I'm out here. Good. I'm, is it okay if I come and check on you in five Good. minutes? You yes. know, I'm just going to come and check on you in five minutes 
and you keep going to them and you keep kind of finding the balance and what's the right way of support. And like we talked about before, we're trying to build a partnership. All of our kids are going to struggle at certain times. We're trying to build a partnership for what is it that works with you as an individual child and us in a partnership that is helpful. It might be initially you need space, you decompress, and then we're going to talk about it later. Some kids will need you to co-regulate really close to them and really intensely with them. Yep. And it will change through life course as well. So we should always be kind of modifying and you know improving upon what we're learning together with kids about how we can be helpful. But there's nothing wrong with a kid saying they want space and you're giving it to them. That's not, I wouldn't want anyone to feel like they should kind of force themselves to be in really close, you know, because a lot of kids, especially kids who've had trauma, really struggle with that. Mm. You stay on top of them. And yeah, we would do this a lot. Like we had a lot of traumatized kids in the childcare that I worked in, and giving them space was actually really important. Okay. You had to still keep eyes on them. You also needed them to have eyes on you. So I would often they sit, sit down five meters away from them, and I, they would just know I was there. Yeah. And sometimes it would take like, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks before they'd even come back to me. But, you know, by consistently being there, I didn't go, cool, he doesn't want me, I'm going to shoot off now God, and do I'd something else. God, I'd do exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, would. so you can't. Like, well, I mean, I, I had the capacity not to do that because there were other staff there. But, you know, a lot of parents don't have that ability. But sometimes just saying, I'm just going to sit here five metres away from you and if you want to come to me, I'm here. <sighs> Love it. Awesome. Yeah. And seeing if that works. Okay. Beautiful. Um, Billy, question eight, three to go. Firstly, thank you so much for bringing such an informative and fun podcast to our ears. I get so much out of it and appreciate it. I know this was discussed in the recent episode around mental health first aid in regards to avoiding the to avoid dismissing the child's emotion challenge, but when does the acknowledgement and distract approach come into play? particularly when dealing with trying to work through a medical diagnosis. For over a year, our eight-year-old has been going through diagnostics to explore stomach pain. All diagnostics are drawing a blank despite screening tests indicating that there should be something there. I feel there is an anxiety coming into play very strongly and despite talking to him, he never indicates anything is worrying or concerning him. We have been using acknowledgement of the pain before moving to distraction. Oh, that's awful. Is there something I can do for you? As his medical symptoms tend to be sporadic, I, it can be hard to work out what is related to physical gastrointestinal issue and where anxiety is driving something. How do I support in building the mental health support for him so he doesn't struggle or feel unsupported but no? when to identify it as a physical symptom that needs addressing. I don't want to diminish either or confuse the two if there are, in fact, separate coexisting issues. Sorry for the long question context background. I think a short version of my question is how do you apply mental health first aid when you don't know if if, if you are trying to support a mental health challenge versus a different type of medical challenge that are coexisting and basically don't want to make the situation worse for your child. Thanks so much. Yeah, great question. Complex question. question. Yeah, yeah, and the context is really important. So a lot of um, children and teenagers we see um, in our clinics that are having emotional distress will have functional components of what they're struggling with, you know, like I've constantly got a headache, my tummy always aches. 
my legs are always hurting. The important bit is, which that parent calls out, we don't want to dismiss it because mm. if it's real for those kids. If you say, well, we've done a brain scan and your brain's fine, they're <laughs> going to go, okay, so what saying I'm making it up, like that's not helpful. Gotcha. So what we need to do is kind of build in, you know, an understanding of often our bodies won't know how to interpret the feelings that we're having that we're struggling with and it will come out in different ways. Our mind and our body are connected like that and we're learning a lot more about this over the last couple of decades. So a lot of that will be the output for little babies that are really stressed and unsettled to teenagers that, you know, have really functional challenges where they can't walk because they're so anxious or overwhelmed emotionally. So the other bit is like, an, yeah, the short, there was a short question like this, but a long answer to that kind of distracting them is I think it's a really good thing if you do it but you do it as a part of the plan with the child. Okay. You go, hey, I know you're getting a lot of tummy pain now. Yeah. I think it's really important that, you know, we see that as a signal that you need us to do something together. Yeah. And I wonder if going and doing this thing will be helpful. Yeah. Why don't we try it and see if that helps with the tummy pain instead of hearing the tummy pain and going, hey, let's go and you know do some painting because that's dismissing whereas you can actually use it as a technique if you do it in partnership and really purposefully and explicitly and clearly with the kid. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's makes the difference. Yep. So you're acknowledging the experience they're having. You're asking permission for let's try this strategy mm. as opposed to which is not what this parent's doing but as opposed to I'm going to try and trick you into ignoring the feeling you have or moving past that feeling of tummy pain by going, hey, look at this thing over here. Mm. You know, that's a different thing which I don't think is helpful and can actually move the kid past that. Yeah. So it's really important like we've talked about, we validate and see all emotions and difficulties as an opportunity for a connection, non-judgmentally go in. But then part of the plan, but like we talk about, we always want the child to be leading what the problem-solving solution is. Yep. But you can put stuff out there and go, what about if we go and do this and see if it settles down? Would that be okay? Oh, I like it. Doing it. And that's different to like distraction. Yes. Mm. Good. Well done. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> feel condescending when I do it No, sometimes. I'm always pumped. It's every few episodes I get a well done and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I try to do it a lot. Sometimes I go, ah, someone's going to – I just – when you say something like that, I'm like, someone's going to hear that. Probably the first time I ask the question. My favourite one was a few oh. episodes ago where you're like, you've got no notes. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're very good. I'm going to have you chuckle. You're good. You work hard at it. Hey, Billy, two questions to go. Let's see how we go with these ones, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the spot. <laughs> It'd be funny if that's where the episode ends. I just edited it out. Uh, uh, hi, Nick and Billy. Absolutely loving the podcast and the work you're both doing. I'm just starting to tra training as a mental health professional and it's been incredible to tap into the podcast as a resource. My question is this. I've encountered some young people at work. I work in a school as a youth worker who presents some extremely dissociative symptoms. Yep. Uh, they're very unresponsive to lessons or friends, staring into space, unable to think because of brain fog or ruminating on past mistakes. Occasionally these kids will present with some mild self-harming behaviours because it makes them feel more present. At the moment, my mental health first aid approach for this is taking the kids out of the class to engage in something I know they enjoy. For lots of them, it's art. However... This only seems to be a temporary strategy as they return to this depressed dissociated as soon as they get back into class. Seeing these kids so dissociated is heartbreaking and I'd love to be able to make more of a difference. 
Are there any specific mental health first aid strategies that would help teens experiencing this? Is there a way school employees can make the classroom feel safer for these kids? Thanks a million. Yeah, so it's a great question and dissociation is a core feature of kids who have experienced developmental trauma. So that kind of leaving and, you know, we all do it a bit. I don't know if you've ever had anything awful happen where you kind of just take yourself out of it and you disconnect from either the experience as it's happening or shortly after you just kind of bury it. The problem is for a lot of kids, that can be a healthy coping mechanism for a lot of us in the moment. There's like the only way I can get through this is if I just disconnect a bit from what's happening. Mm -hmm. The problem is kids who kind of experience that ongoing complex trauma, they will frequently dissociate and it becomes kind of a dysfunctional mechanism of how they handle the stress that they're experiencing. And then it becomes kind of their move anytime they're struggling, anytime they're stressed and things like that. I think what this person's doing is beautiful because they're taking them out of that really distressing environment and saying, how can I bring you back to the present? And that's what we want to do with dissociation. We want to really gently bring them back. There's lots of different ways you will do that. A lot of it is kind of, you know, noticing the feelings that you're having. Like we often talk about, like, what are you noticing in your body right now? What do you think that's linked to? Yep. You know, open questions about that can be really helpful for these kids. And if they're at the point where they can talk about it because you've taken them out of that environment, mm. you skill them up out of it. Yeah. So skill them up in kind skills. of understanding, yep. coming back yep. to the yep. present. Yep. Yep. What are the yep. things that help you when you are feeling that? Notice that you're leaving, drifting away and all those things. And what amazing therapists will do is give them those skill sets outside of the environment they struggle with it the most and then bring them in. Now, if you think about it, that goes back to all of our stuff that we talk about is like the playground is, you know, Lord of the Flies. We shouldn't aim for success in the place they struggle the most as mm. our first step. It's our last step. What can your expectation be though? For a child who's dissociating? Yeah, in that environment. Yeah, so the, there is no expectation that anyone who's not a clinician knows exactly how to support a kid like that and mm. what to do. You shouldn't be, feel, I completely agree, you shouldn't, be a therapist. What you should have a realistic expectation though is that the community of clinicians that are around you give you the specific skills that can support that child. What we're talking about is basic concepts and theories around that but what the therapist will do is step through exactly what it looks like for Billy And but what's really important is that in the real world outside of the clinical room the professionals and parents that support these kids have a really practical specific approach to when this is happening this is what we do for Billy but that's what will be at its core is how do we bring them back gently, safely to the present mm. and noticing that. And that's, as we've talked about already, that's interoception. That's like, what's your body doing? Mm. What feelings are you getting? What do you think might be underneath that? Mm. How can we come back to the present? Noticing on breathing, noticing on what's going on in the environment. Some people will do different things like, you know, what colours are you noticing here? What sounds are you noticing? Like mm. what are you feeling in your body and all that stuff? And all that kind of gotcha. brings back that dissociation that they're just completely disconnecting from their real world. It's important you only do that when they're not continually getting traumatised because mm. you don't want to bring them back. So that's why the place they struggle the most is the last place that you expect them to do that in. Mm. Okay. Good. Hey, Billy, last question. Number 10. Dear Dr. Billy and Nick, Thank you so much for the amazing, tireless work in addressing the tough topics that help us become better parents and better clinicians. My question on regarding my question on regards to this episode is: I'm a 
sorry, I'm a paramedic and honestly mental health is an exploding epidemic and increasingly more so in children and with significantly devastating effects. Billy, as you pointed out, a lot of children especially and parents are in a crisis and what's more scary are unable to seek the timely assistance from professionals like yourself and some are waiting incredible times to even be able to seek assistance of psychologists, let alone child psychologists. So in these times of crisis, when it all comes too much for these children and they feel hopeless or display behaviour that is in, that is in fact trying to communicate to us, it is generally the paramedics that get called. Mm-hmm. Wow. However, we don't receive a lot of child-specific mental health education and are responding to assist to help manage these crises using principles we would employ for adults in similar situations. But also as a mother of a neurodivergent preteen boy, I just feel that there has to be a much better way to apply the mental health first aid to these children. Today, listening to your podcast for the first time, I felt I received some valuable insights into how to best how to how to be of most positive benefit to these children whom are facing difficult situations and who feel they aren't being heard or lost in the system. My question is: an emergency services professional, as an emergency services professional. What else can we do to help assist these children in distress, feel seen, heard, understood, acknowledged and their feelings and frustrations are validated without sometimes inadvertently making the situation worse and traumatising these precious and vulnerable souls more? How can we assist them better and more empathetically when they are revealing revealing helping them in their most distressing times? Thank you in advance for reading my question and for the tireless effort to help us all become better clinicians and parents and help to raise the future generations to come in more, uh, to, 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 to be in a more holistic manner. Yeah. Yeah. So, God, I actually haven't done anything with paramedics, but I'd love to. So if there's any groups out there, reach out because that would be awesome to do some um, PD together. So, yes, and it's a perfect example. Like mental health first aid says to us, like if you are not a clinician and the child does not return to calm and safety, you should be calling for clinicians. And honestly, if you can't get the kid to an emergency department yourself, often the paramedics are called. We, I reckon like in the first 10 episodes, we talked about a paramedic gave me this beautiful strategy that she uses. I don't know if you can remember what it was. I can't remember, but I remember it. Yeah, so she talked about like how often she just sits down with people that are really distressed and says, I'm sorry, this is happening to you. And it's such a beautiful kind of humanistic way to connect with people as opposed to saying, I'm the professional, there's a disconnect because of that. And people worry about like, oh man, if I expose myself too much on a personal level or try and connect with these people on a personal level, I'll break this barrier of like professionalism. And I don't, I'm exactly the same at work as I am here. Like I, you know, I'll be the same in the way I greet you as the families I meet and all that stuff because that's genuineness and it's really important. And that's what this paramedic will already be doing is like the kids that are really distressed just be genuine with them and be like, you know, and especially if you're a parent who has insight into this, being hypersensitive to like how is this child handling this situation and not going with your own bias of going, well, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, so you should be fine. You should be going, I'm going to sit, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and see if it helps. And I'm going to be watch and see, are you getting more stressed or are you returning to calm? You know, what's actually working? It's also a shout out to a few episodes like, 
the Blade Runner neurodiversity one, we kind of step through like the different experiences that a lot of these kids will have, the co-regulation one, of course, but also like it's such a long episode ago, but the alien one of like, it was the only one we've done because we just got asked so much about the pandemic, but I reckon it's one of my favorites for two reasons. One, it's probably the best Photoshop. Um, <laughs> the second one is, it is beautiful mental health first aid that she delivers because she doesn't say anything Amazing. for ages. She just sits there and cleans the kid. The kid's got like dirt and blood and everything all over her and she pushes the people that are like scrutinizing her out of the way and just sits there and cleans her and returns her to calm. And paramedics, part of delivering mental health first aid is showing them, not through talking to them, but showing them I'm here as a caring person to support you. And that's why paramedics can be phenomenal. Do all the stuff we've talked about, get down to their level, do all those things, talk about I'm sorry this is happening to you, how can I help, what do you need, what's something that I can do that will make things a bit easier at the moment, all of that stuff. You know, it's got to be language and developmentally appropriate for kids, but paramedics are phenomenal at this and, you know, yeah, I'd love to have an opportunity to work more closely with them. Mm. Going to say it for you, go be like validating a bit that a paramedics like this is really handy, thanks. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Emergency service oh, I'm person. always nervous like, though. Oh. Hear so many clinicians listen to this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Because this is going through parents, this is going through teachers and now I, we haven't had many paramedics like we have early and there's probably a few to listen but it's, it must be nice. Just saying, well, oh, yeah, they're amazing. Like they're, doing, they're doing they're doing what they're we doing do in hospitals yeah. without totally. any of the infrastructure or support around them. It's yeah, amazing. and they get they don't get to pick their patients and their speciality. Yeah. It's like I'm going to arrive on the scene <laughs> and I'm going to deal. I hadn't even thought about. Well, this is why health. this podcast exists because there is an explosion that's happening in the community, and you know, all these kids, if we don't sort this out, are going to become adults that are struggling in the community as well, and it gets even harder. Then you think it's hard now oh, to get mind. support for a kid who's yeah. struggling. Wait until you're an adult who's trying to get support if you're struggling emotionally or with mental illness. So this is why the podcast exists. I can see 14 kids a day that have waited two years or we can, you know, keep learning about how to do this better by the feedback we get from people and hopefully be helpful to a lot more people than that. Yep. So, yeah, phenomenal. Awesome, Billy. Great, great, great episode to wrap up for the sort of wrap up yeah, before yeah. we we'll head into our lighter. We're doing our fun one, um, which is a bit off the wall sort of version. It's not like a Sneaky strict beer. episode. Sneaky beer. <laughs> That'd be nice. We have to shoot a little bit later in the day. We do hit record around 7 a.m. So <laughs> we had that reflection recently. Billy and I did a night episode and we had a drink afterwards and it was like, God, we should do this more often. Yeah, but then, then we'd be drinking at 7 yeah. and 8 a.m. <laughs> so um, no. Henry and Annalise, if you're listening, it was a very quick one. Yes. <laughs> It was a two-minute drink and it was, we, drink. <laughs> it was late at night. Everyone was in asleep. So they're probably like, night. you guys, we put the kids to bed on our own. We did all this stuff and you're there having a beer. But, um, but no, thanks, thanks, Nick. It was beautifully guided up. Yeah, great. Um, so we're going to be back next week with our Christmas special. Again, shout out. Please send us through your best Griswolds and Winslows for the year. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun in that last episode, nice and light, and uh, celebrate the year that was. But uh, thanks very much, Dr. Billy. Appreciate your time this hey, week. Thanks, Nick. Just use your best judgment. We trust you.